You may have noticed this little cross that I wear every week. It's a cross given by my close friend, Matthew von Herbulis, who lives in Kigali. It is the emblem of Sowers of Hope, a ministry I helped found with him a few years ago, which serves rural Rwandan farmers. Today, dozens of agri-faith associations are found in Gisabo Diocese, helping hundreds of subsistence farmers embrace the dignity of their work and improving their family's well-being. One of the very unexpected results of cutting my teeth as a preacher in Rwanda came in reading scripture differently. I gave the agricultural themes of scriptural, uh, scripture considerable study while I was in graduate school, but there is nothing like befriending actual rural communities to make those scriptural images come alive. Images in scripture like the one we have this morning. I never understood why, for instance, in Psalm 126, it says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Why would I? Why would I understand that? I grew up with a garden in our, in our backyard, but the seeds came in little packets, right, and were purchased from a store. The produce was helpful, but it was a hobby. It wasn't something that we relied on for our own sustenance. I never stopped to think about where seeds would actually be coming from for someone who relied on them. Well, when you are a subsistence farmer, like Rwandans, like 80% of Rwandans, seeds are food. Grains, potatoes, corn, they are all seeds and everyone has to make a choice. Do you eat all the grain, the potatoes, the seeds, or do you save it and plant it? When you live at the edge of subsistence, at the edge of survival, that becomes a really hard question. Those who sow with tears have tears because their sowing costs them something. It costs them food that they could eat. They reap with joy because what was given to the soil has multiplied. Those seeds are life. The soil is the womb of life. The sowing is an act of sacrifice, which is why they pray so much about sowing and reaping in the Bible. When we are separated from the soil, when farming happens somewhere else or becomes a hobby, we lose some of the visceral potency of these images. The vineyard, the blood of Cain crying out from the soil, the fig tree. The Gospel of Matthew wants us to see, the Gospel of Matthew wants us to see who Jesus is, the Messiah, the fulfillment of Moses, the fulfillment of Israel's calling, the fulfillment of the law. And he does this by masterfully weaving the narratives of Jesus enacting the kingdom of God by way of healing, exorcism, and other miracles with five major teaching blocks corresponding to the five books of Moses. The first major teaching block occurs on a mountainside, purposefully evoking the image of Sinai, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus then sends his disciples out into the world, and there are stories about how different groups of people accept or question or reject him and his teachings. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' kingdom manifesto, and chapters 11 through 13 in Matthew show different ways that people respond to the kingdom being enacted and being taught. The poor sinners and outcasts flock to him. The religious elite rejects him, at least most of them. In chapter 11, John the Baptist even questions if Jesus is really the Messiah because he's breaking the categories of what John was expecting the Messiah to do. In chapter 13, Jesus launches into a series of agricultural par parables that gather up the responses of people to his strange kingdom. 
The first is this one from our gospel text this morning, parable of the sower. So I want to do two, two things this morning. One, I want to take a little look at the image that Jesus uses, the sower and the various types of soil. And in that, I want to show how this, paral- this parable really illustrates Paul's teaching that we've been going through in the book of Romans and in chapter 8 this morning. And then second, I want to talk about the twin dangers of suffering and comfort. So first, the image. Grains were a source of most food in the ancient ancient world in the first century. It is no accident that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for their daily bread. Sowing wheat was an essential activity of survival. It still is. We just don't do it ourselves. If you are having a successful harvest, it means the difference between poverty and security. It is a high stakes work. In the parable, though, a man goes out and starts sowing seed, walking along a path, and you get the impression that he has plenty of seed. He isn't being assiduous. He is extravagant. The seeds get thrown everywhere. They land in all directions and on all surfaces. He doesn't need to be careful. He's being abundant. Interpreting parables can be tricky, but in this case, Jesus does most of the interpretation for us. The seeds are his word of the kingdom, the various kinds of soil, the people who hear and respond to it. For some, the words barely hit the ground before being snatched away by the devil. For others, the seed falls into the ground and springs up, but the rocks make it difficult to have any roots. When trials and tribulations come, they have nothing to sustain them. For others, they have roots, but the comforts and desires of the world choke them out, and some others are able to flourish. The soil is cleared of rocks and thorns. But what is the seed? Jesus calls the word of the kingdom. But what does that actually mean? Well, the word of the kingdom could mean the teaching of Jesus with him sowing the seed as his words of teaching. But I don't think that that is quite right. The word of the kingdom isn't just Jesus' teaching. It is Jesus. Jesus is himself the word of the kingdom and the seed. Jesus isn't just a messenger. He is the message, which makes the sower the father, not Jesus. The father sends the son. He casts him liberally out into the world, not just the religious elite, not just to the Jews, but to the poor, to everyone who flocks to him, even to Gentiles like us. Not just to people who are perfectly ready to hear The Lord sows with reckless abandon. Jesus comes and the people flock to him, so much so that he gives this teaching from a boat in the water. The shore is teeming with people hungry for him. They are all different kinds of soil. The father is being extravagant with the son. In John 12, Jesus speaks about seeds in a different way. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That is a powerful passage. Think about Jesus being the seed that falls liberally among us. 
What happens when a seed falls into the ground? Well, the seed looks like it's dead for a while, like a body laid in a tomb. And then it happens. The seed bursts forth in new life. Little roots start to shoot out and being torn open, a green sprout emerges. The soil around the seed provides the nutrients for this germination. The soil gets drawn into the seed and becomes part of it. The roots go deeper, the plant grows taller, it captures carbon dioxide from the air and builds it into new life. When the plant matures, it continues to take inert materials latent in the soil and build them together into something alive and good, which has its own seeds. If we are the soil and Jesus is the seed, he is the one drawing us into himself. He is the one who arrives in the middle of our lives like a seed impacting soil. It is his body that is torn open, made almost unrecognizable when it rises from the ground. But there are thorns and rocks and birds. Paul would call those desires of the flesh. It's worth noting that this parable wonderfully illustrates Paul's argument we have walked through in the past couple weeks in Romans, especially chapter eight this morning. But if Christ is in you, think about the seed planted into the soil, Paul says, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we call, cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul has used the language of slavery for a while now, but he switches to the language of adoption, fruitfulness, if you will. Paul is saying that Jesus is the one who is the true son of the father. He is the seed which bears fruit. We were sterile but made alive by the seed of life drawing us into himself. The Lord does this through the Holy Spirit, by which the roots of God's mercy penetrate our hearts and unite us to Christ, broken and risen, suffering and glorified. That Holy Spirit is the difference between the soil that bears fruit and the soil that becomes uninhabitable. The Holy Spirit weaves the soil of our hearts. It makes us belong to the sower and have a share in the fruit. It makes us call out, Abba, Father. We are made fruitful only through the Holy Spirit. And what is fruit but a seed? But ultimately, what can we take away from these passages? What must we be aware of? Well, I think we must be aware of the twin dangers of suffering and comfort. We have to allow for the Spirit of God to weed the soil of our hearts. The Holy Spirit puts roots of Christ into us and draws us into him, but the Holy Spirit also purifies us, weeds us, to allow for fruit to grow. 
when the seeds in the parable take root and start to grow and are not immediately snatched away. So if you think about the, all of us here probably have been people who've responded in some way to Jesus. And if you have, then you're one of these two, right? There are two main things that happen to plants that start to grow, plants that end up dying. The two dangers of suffering and comfort, tribulation and excess. So first, suffering. Here in Boston, in the United States generally, we do not suffer corporately for our faith, not in the way that the early hearers of Matthew or Romans suffered. Our brothers and sisters in other countries today do suffer in this way, but we do not. But we do suffer. We suffer tremendously in this world. All of us experience profound heartache, and that is true of everyone. It does not matter how attractive or well-educated or rich or put together a person or a family is, we are all hurting people. And if you assume anything else about a person in this community or out there in the world that you know, it just means you don't know them well enough yet. Because everybody, and I mean everybody, has brokenness. And Jesus knows this. He knows that suffering and persecution will come and that it might choke out our fruitfulness. Suffering can make us despair about our lives, despair about God's goodness in the world. And that is one response, one that we have seen probably in ourselves and other people. But the other response is equally possible to suffering, is that when we go undergo stress, that it makes our roots grow deeper, that we allow for the Holy Spirit to transform what is meant for evil in our lives into an occasion for deepening in faith, hope, and love. There are a few more powerful testimonies than of people who endure extraordinary pain and have persisted in joy. That is not a cheap thing or an easy thing. It is something only possible through the Holy Spirit. Along with the danger of persecution and suffering comes another equally deadly danger, according to Jesus in this parable. The false comfort of security, the deceitfulness of riches, as the Lord himself puts it in this parable. And this is a broad theme. It's a broad theme in the New Testament and in the teachings of Jesus. It's something that he talks about a lot. In fact, in chapter 6 of Matthew, the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For many of us, when we do feel the insecurity of the present, and friends, we have so much insecurity around us. When we experience suffering or fear, we may be tempted to retreat to the comfort of stuff, comfort of groceries, comfort of Amazon, comfort of Netflix. And it inoculates us to the growth the Lord wants us to have. It prevents us from rooting ourselves more deeply into him. About five years ago, Matthew and I were working on a preschool nutrition project. Uh, the diocese was opening a preschool in every local church. Today, there are about 20 schools serving 1,200 three to six-year-olds in rural communities. And we also began giving them a simple, locally sourced nutritional supplement, peanuts. So we started roasting them in our backyard. I had a team of people help me. It was all well and good when there were only 100 kids or so to feed every day. Um, but... As you can imagine, it added up quickly. By 2016, we were roasting a metric ton of peanuts a month. My whole block smelled like roasting peanuts. And I wanted to find a way to control our supply chain. A friend had a beautiful 
large, fertile farm a few hours north on the Ugandan border near a river. It had dark, beautiful loam. And we invested thousands of dollars into planting the peanuts, enough so that we could sell half the crop uh, and make the entire project self-funding in addition to, to giving the peanuts to the kids. It was a brilliant plan, and it was such a terrible mistake. The whole crop was lost. After investigation, we discovered that the peanut plants grew just fine, but they never had any flowers and thus never bore seeds. Plants need a certain amount of stress to make them germinate. And the soil we put them in was so rich that they never produced. If our soil had not been so fertile, if it had been sandier, we would have fared much, much better. Friends, there is real danger in, in that for us. There is danger in, grow, in growing up, putting out leaves and not fruit, because when push comes to shove, we are too comfortable, too willing to be unmoved and unfruitful. We have been talking a lot about racial justice recently, and we will continue to do so. Um, on the 19th of every month, we're gonna be sending a finger out, but I also am gonna be inviting all of us to embark in new ways, corporately and individually, to act on gospel convictions in this area. We are working on some of those practical ways to serve right now through healthy relationships with organizations who have been doing this a lot longer than us. And so I'm asking us in this area and all areas not to allow our relative comfort to keep us from bearing fruits of righteousness through the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you. We need you. It is only by your Holy Spirit that we bear fruit. And so, Lord Jesus, Give us comfort, but Lord, not the comfort that distracts us from you. And Lord, let us embark on things of insecurity and allowing our roots to put themselves down deeper into you. Praise in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.